Bible reading, as I mentioned before, is the beginning of Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you are using one of the Bibles that are um, provided on the seats, uh, you can find today's passage by turning to page 788, page 788, and looking for the big number 7 in the heading, Judging Others. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Thanks, Liam. Thank you Liam, good morning church. It's great to be together um, in God's kindness and providence, he's brought us together for another week to hear the words of eternal life. And that's what we are peering into this morning, which is an incredible grace and mercy on our Father's part, but also something that we don't want to take lightly as we come to his words this morning. So would you please uh, pray with me to our Lord before we look at his words. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us as orphans, but have sent us your spirit. Lord, these are words of eternal life, and we ask by your spirit that you would pierce our hearts, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to understand what you would have us to understand, and that by the work of your precious Holy Spirit, that you would give us changed lives and a zeal for the worship of you in this world. We ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So our church, over the past uh, three and a half months, we've been going through uh, this incredible sermon that Jesus gave that's come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. And over the months, as we've seen our Lord unpack incredible things, we've learnt what it is where the place of the law is in the believer's life, how we are to view things like divorce and hatred, and how we are to love our enemies, among other things. And as we've been making our way through this sermon, we've seen that his address is vitally important because it's not just a sermon. It's not just a sermon. It's an address from a king to a people who have been gathered into a kingdom. And I say that because before Jesus came on the scene and made this address, Matthew has been very careful to record for us that a kingdom was indeed expected. 
We see this theme in the uh, ministry of John the Baptist, for example, who was sent by God to the people of Israel to announce to them that the long-awaited kingdom of God that was promised to them by prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah had finally come. It was at hand. And more than that, John was sent to announce that the one that was to come after him would gather his wheat into his barn and would baptize them in none other than the Holy Spirit. We also saw that John preached that this man who was to come after him would be so deserving of honor that he himself, Israel's most famous preacher at the time, wouldn't even be worthy enough to carry this guy's sandals. In other words, John was sent to announce that the one coming after him would be Israel's king. And it would be this king that would usher in the long-awaited kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus came on the scene and called his disciples to himself here on uh, this mount, much in the same way God did with Israel at Mount Sinai, and tells them that they are the salt and the light of the world, he's drawing their attention to themes that are meant to make them aware of their uniqueness in this world. In other words, Jesus wants them to know that they were not like those around them who were still trapped in the dominion of darkness, but had been rescued into the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting that Jesus has said this to his disciples, right? Because from the start of this sermon... Jesus has made it crystal clear to them that the community that had gathered around him was something different in this world. Set apart, if you will, as they were a ray of sunshine in this dark, cold world. But we might ask here, how were they the light of the world? Well, it must be said it wasn't because of anything in and of themselves. You see, Matthew makes it clear in chapter 4, verses 15 through to 16, uh, quoting the prophet Isaiah, that before Jesus came on the scene, everyone, everyone, including these disciples, were trapped in darkness, saying, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So why does Jesus call his followers the light of the world? Because quite simply, out of all the people that had heard Jesus' preaching, they were the ones that had believed what he had to say. They were the ones who had repented, who had left their own ways and followed him. To say this another way, they believed in Jesus and what he had to say and in the doing, as they believed, as they repented, as they followed, they had become imitators of their Lord. Meaning that they were in fact like little mirrors reflecting the light of the world. And that church is what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. 
It's not to just hear the words of Jesus. No, it's to hear the king's call of repentance and it's to put into practice what you have heard. In other words, it's to do the will of the one who has called us from darkness into light. This is why this address here is so vitally important for us to understand. Because like the disciples we read about here gathered around Jesus, we too confess that Jesus is the king of God's heavenly kingdom. We too confess that he is our Lord, that we trust him with our eternities. And as his disciples, we want to not only hear about his unpacking and applying of what it is to be a follower of him, but we too want to obey our Lord's words in all that we do. We want to live out obediently what he has to say to us in this world. We want to be like mirrors that reflect his light in this dark world. As it's already been said, that's not because we in and of ourselves are the light. No, in and of ourselves, we were, as Isaiah put it, the people dwelling in darkness, who had been dwelling in the region and shadow of death. Might I say this morning, if you have heard the word of the king, if you have repented, if you have trusted in what Jesus has to say, if you have turned from going your own way and turned to King Jesus, then there has been an awesome supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life, whereby you have been transported from death to life, from condemnation to justification, from the dominion of darkness to his kingdom of light. And like the disciples we see gathered here in our passage this morning, we too have been gathered into a community of people who are seeking to obey our Lord in all that he has to say. And as we do that, as we together obey King Jesus, as we seek together to put into practice our Lord's words, well, we too will indeed be the salt and light in this world. And that's the aim of our passage this morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, We don't just want to understand our Lord's words, but put into practice what he tells us this morning. And it's as we do this at Grace Christian Church that we will look drastically different in this world because we are a community that is seeking to reflect the light of this world. So in saying that, let's turn to our passage this morning. If you have your Bibles uh, in front of you, that will be handy because uh, we're going to be in the text quite a bit this morning. So looking at uh, verses 1 and 2, these are the words of our Lord. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, seems pretty straightforward, right? Don't judge. And with that said, let's pray and we can all go home. (laughs) And all the aspiring lawyers in the room just, well, their dreams have been crushed. 
And though it seems a bit extreme uh, to say that, believe it or not, people like Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy uh, have taken these very words and argued that Jesus was saying that law courts, well, they shouldn't be a thing. And Tolstoy isn't uh, alone in this kind of textual uh, misuse. As the phrase, do not judge or you will be judged, is actually uh, one of the most uh, misused, misunderstood sayings in the whole Bible. I mean, you don't have to be on social media for very long uh, before somebody's saying, hashtag, judge not, usually in connection with some horrendous public behaviour. Indeed, this sentence is, is a favourite of many that like to use it as a type of uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. But we might ask, what is Jesus actually commanding here? Is he saying, get rid of the law courts? Is he saying, don't have about, uh, any opinions about anyone you meet? Is he saying, close your eyes to the world around you and simply just presume the best of everyone? Well, as it's been said many times from this pulpit before, a text without a context is simply just a con. So let's not fall into that trap, church. Uh, Let's understand the context here so that we will get a better understanding of what Jesus is actually telling his disciples. See, this statement hasn't been made in a vacuum, right? It's not been made in a vacuum. Uh, Jesus has said it in the middle of a sermon that he's delivering to his disciples, to his community of followers. So, So that's the first thing we need to take note of. This is addressed to his disciples, not to judges and to lawyers. The second thing uh, we have to notice is that he doesn't say, don't judge and that's that, let's move on. No, he, he goes on to explain what he wants from his disciples in the rest of this passage. In regards to this very theme, and as we'll see, his disciples, well, we are to make judgment calls in regards to certain things. And we will look at that in just a moment. But for now, I I want you to notice something very interesting in the text. Very interesting about judgment in verse 2. He said, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's an interesting phrase, right? And I say it's interesting because his warning is, we all have a standard by which we measure the people around us. And Jesus is saying, be careful not to judge people by your own standard because it will only ever come back to bite you. We've actually seen this warning from God uh, before in the Bible. We see it in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Uh, God says to his prophet, Samuel, whom he had sent to anoint David, who he'd chosen to be the new king of Israel as God had rejected Saul. And Samuel gets to Bethlehem and he meets David's oldest, strongest, tallest brother and he thinks to himself, wow, this guy is going to be an awesome leader. Just look at him. But God warns Samuel. He says, don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature 
because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks on the heart. Hear that, church. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. To put it simply, God was warning his prophet about the standard he was using, about his measurement that he employed to judge other people. And what was it? Well, Samuel was looking for Israel's next king by his outward appearance, looking to such things that people look for in a strong leader, like his height, his strength, his place in the family. Yet ironically, it was this very standard, this very measurement, if you will, in which Israel chose Saul, which had landed them in a shocking predicament, namely with a king whom God had rejected. See, church, Jesus came to gather his wheat into his barn. And he calls people from all over the world to be his, from all walks of life. Meaning he calls people that don't look, sound or think the same way that you and I do. He calls people from all sorts of backgrounds into his kingdom. That's the amazing and wonderful thing about our king. And this means that his kingdom is filled with all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life. I mean, let's apply this to us here this morning. Uh, Look around you, church. Look around at all the people the Lord Jesus has brought together from different nations, different races, economic contexts, different life stories, different cultures. Yet we all have one king, one Lord and saviour, one Father in heaven, one Spirit, one baptism. So we are, in that sense, brothers and sisters, a a real spiritual family. This is what Jesus is saying to us here this morning. My disciples, if you are quick to judge one another on, say, things like what denomination you've come from, where you live, what job you have, on the outward appearances, on on race, if we measure each other by each other's standards of, of what we think it is to be a good Christian, then we'll quickly cease to be a community that is light in this dark world. Why? Because like any other community, we'll be full of hypercritical, judgmental gossips that glory in being an exclusive club that is unwelcoming to those who don't fit the outward superficial mould. Jesus is prohibiting something here. He's prohibiting something that his disciples must not do. And it's to see ourselves as the moral standard and judge of his people that he brings into his kingdom. No, we are simply brothers and sisters who have been rescued by our great king, 
meaning we don't choose the mold. We don't set the standard and then measure others by it. Yes, we we may have opinions. Yes, we may have observations and concerns of others in our Lord's community. But these things must never become the standard that we impose on our Lord's blood-purchased people. Jesus is the king of his people, not us. Jesus is helpful here because he gives some practical application to his point. Verses 3 and 4. He says, why why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Notice the language here. It's, It's hyperbolic. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, but it's It's big. Jesus is giving a picture of a person who thinks that the the, the moral rule of the roost who pretty much has a plank for a head and walks around seeing other people's little issues, telling them how they can fix their problems. The picture is meant to to make us think how humorous, how how ridiculous, but Jesus' point, it's serious. It's dead serious because it's a direct warning against those who have a pharisaical attitude towards their brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, church, I want to make this clear this morning. Jesus isn't telling us to ignore each other uh, or to be ignorant of each other's behavior, to, to never help with the specs in others' eyes. That would be incredibly unloving, as we're going to see. But think about the context. Context is important. Jesus is speaking to his disciples who are surrounded by, and as we've seen through the months, may have been educated by the Pharisees. We've seen that through the months. And they demanded a high religious life from those around them, all the while breaking God's law themselves because of their own traditions. In other words, they had erected impossible standards for the people and they had measured others by them while not even living them out themselves. Uh, They literally peered into other people's every move and criticised their every action, looking for so-called specks in their eyes to accuse them by, and their sin totally blinded them to the work of God in their midst as, these, as they had these planks through their heads. I mean, just read through the book of Matthew. You, you'll see them be appalled by Jesus eating with the outcasts, but he's forgiving their sins. Not to mention plotting to kill Jesus because he wonderfully healed someone on the Sabbath. That's the context. That's the world that Jesus is speaking into. We might say, well, that's not our context. But let's not be so quick to dismiss the point of our Lord here. The warning is just the same. What traditions of men have we employed and held people to in our own lives? 
Do you look at your, your brother and think to yourself, they can't possibly be a Christian like me because they such and such? Do you look at your sister and say, she couldn't possibly love Jesus as much as me because she's such and so forth? I think this is the point our Lord is making. This is what he's making to all his disciples, and it's this. His precious people, his people are all works in progress. Uh, We have all sinned. We are all dealing with specks in our eyes in various degrees. And because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we are all, every single one of us, me included, we are all at various stages of that wonderful progress of leaving our old life behind. So church, don't be the one walking around with tweezers in your hands, nitpicking other, other people's sanctification. Because like the one with a plank for a head, that's to display a pharisaical attitude. It must be said, Pharisees know nothing of the love and grace of God. They have an inability to reflect that wonderful love and grace to others around them. But in saying all of this, there is a great hope in this passage. Our Lord is amazing at doing this, right? We've seen it all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He can both rebuke and he can both encourage us greatly at the very same time. And we see it again here in our Lord's words. Verse 5. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will clearly see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Why is this encouraging? Let me explain. First, because our Lord says to his disciples, take the plank out of your own eye. Why is that encouraging, Michael? Well, quite simply because spiritually dead people have no conviction over sin. No ability to to notice any plank. No ability or want or power to do anything with it. Meaning that Jesus is applying this to those whom he sees as his, those who are spiritually alive. And he's saying to us that when our sin is shown to us, well, we no longer have to live as slaves like we once did. No, we can actually take the plank out and cast it off, meaning that those sins that once held us captive, which once seemed impossible to not indulge ourselves in, well, there's an ability, a work of God in us to put those things to death. The Apostle Paul explains it like this to the church in Rome in chapter 8, 15 of his epistle. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's such an intimacy in those words, Abba, Dad, Father. And church, this is the incredible news of the gospel. Our king came to rescue his people. He came to redeem us, saved us from certain destruction. 
He is the one who snatched us from the dominion of darkness and placed us in his kingdom, which is everlasting. We have been given by his grace the Holy Spirit. And church, God has become our father in the process. What mercy and incredible grace, what wonderful, amazing love. And when we see our sin in our lives, we no longer have to believe that we are slaves to it. We've been set free and by the help of the Holy Spirit working in us, we can cry out to our Father in heaven for help to put that thing to death. And as we do that, as as we cultivate a life of prayer and confession and repentance, we'll witness sin really being put to death in our life. So-called planks really being pulled out of our eyes. And when we, by the work of the Spirit, live like that, then secondly, as our Lord says here, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you see that, church? Jesus is saying to us here, to to his disciples, first deal with the sin in your own life so that you can help others. That's what the Lord has called his church to do. He's called us to reflect his mercy, to reflect his grace, to reflect his love to those around us in community. He's called his disciples to reflect him, the light of the world. And it's as we, we know and experience Jesus through the gospel that we will be disgusted with our own sin and want to be rid of it. And as we witness his tender care and work in our lives through the precious Holy Spirit, we will want to reflect that tender mercy and work to others around us. That's why we can't ignore That's why we won't ignore or leave others in sin. We have received such mercy and grace. How can we not share that with those around us? What's it practically look like? What's it practically look like? How do we apply what we've heard this morning? Well, we are to evaluate and correct one another in a spirit of humility. How do we do that? How do we humbly correct one another? Well, it's as we've seen here in our passage this morning. First, Jesus tells us that before we correct and before we turn our attention to others, we must first examine ourselves, meaning we must look at our own motives and and ask, why am I so concerned about this person's life? Why do I want to correct this person? And as we pray for them, And that's a great place to start. We pray for them. We might ask God for wisdom and how to go about correcting them in the most encouraging, most loving way possible. And while doing this, ask yourself honestly, am I mourning for what I'm seeing sin do to their life? Do I really want this precious precious spiritual sibling built up Or do I want to feel better about myself? And reflect, am I practicing the very thing that I'm about to go and speak to this person about? Maybe not perfectly, 
most likely not perfectly, but are you attempting, are you taking that thing to the Lord yourself? Are you able to go in love to the one that you see struggling and say, hey, let me come alongside you, let me help, let me pray with you. So that's first, Jesus says, examine yourselves and take the plank out of your own eye. Then the Lord teaches us to take out the speck in our brother's eye. And this is all done with a view to build others up, not to tear them down. We, we help with the speck, with a view to make others stronger. Not to make ourselves seem more holy or, or wise or feel a, a moral superiority. But that's what our Lord tells us to do here. Now take that plank out so that we might help others. I'm so thankful for the men in my life. They've taken me out for coffee and, and spoken straight with me and they've, they've said things like, brother, I, I love you, but I see this and that in your life. And like a, a kind parent who takes the eyelash out of their kid's eye when they're screaming, something's in my eye. Or like a rear view mirror which aids us to not change lanes right in front of a Mack truck. These brothers have lovingly taken specks from my eyes so that I can see more clearly. So might I say, church, all this only comes from being in community. All this comes from being in a community that is living in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It only comes from knowing that we were called, that we were set free, not to judge others by our own standards, not to destroy others by our own measurements, but to see clearly so that we might build one another up in our most holy faith. By showing mercy like we've been shown, by showing grace like we've been shown, and showing love like we are loved at this very moment. This is a wonderful community picture, isn't it, church? Uh, being loved and, and showing love in all that we do towards one another. Yet because we are the light of this world and because God advances the kingdom through the gospel, through us, through his church, Jesus also gives us a warning in verse 6. A heads up, if you will. He says, don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Church, admittedly, the temptation to pass over this bit and just end with verse 5 was overwhelming. But as we know, we are a people that love the words of our Lord. We, we want to hear all that he has to say. We want to do all that he tells us. Verse 6 is by no means out of place in any sense. It's in no way contradicting what's come before. But it's a warning to us here this morning. It's a warning to you and me. A warning that we must heed on, back, on the back of what Jesus has just said, and it's this. Not everyone is going to be thrilled with the work of God in your life. That is the reality. Not everyone is going to be 
over the moon about your conviction of sin. You're putting to death the transgression and your freedom from slavery that you found. Not everyone is going to celebrate when you come to them and witness to them about the amazing love and mercy of God that you've been shown and that you're so excited to share with them. Not only will they not rejoice with you, but Jesus says here, there will be some that will try to attack you, some that will cancel you, defame you, some that will want you fired. And as we've seen in church history and now in the church around us in this very day and age, some will try to kill you. All this to say, Jesus has called his people not to be judgmental in the hypercritical, unmerciful sense where we set our own standards. But he has not called us to be without discernment in this world. And we have to keep the two in tension consistently. On the one hand, don't presume the worst, but on the other hand, don't presume the best of everyone either. And we have to keep that in balance, church. We have to observe without harshly judging. We have to understand without quickly condemning because as Jesus says here in our text this morning, we are real, there are real spiritual differences with people. There are real differences between those who have been set free, who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and those who are dead in their trespasses. Those that are still full-pledged citizens of the kingdom of darkness. And the warning is this. In the whole council of scripture, we're warned. There are people that want it that way. They love darkness. They hate light. Because they love their evil deeds and don't want to be rid of them. They're hard-hearted and they hate the gospel and what you stand for. And Jesus says, because of that rejection, because of that love for their wicked deeds, these people who are not our brothers, not our sisters, they may turn on you. They may attack you. If that's what they did to our Lord, what would they do to his servants? But I want to end by saying this, church. I want to end on this. This verse in no way excuses us from taking the gospel to the nations. In no way does it discourage the great commission that we are all called to. But what it reminds us of is this. There's a spiritual reality in this world, a a real enemy that hates Christ and his people, and we are sent as sheep among wolves. The battle is real, but some are saved. Some hear the gospel, some turn and come into the kingdom and they become our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as we live this uh, gospel truth out here in this community in Armadale, as we reflect the light of the world in all that we do, as we take the good news of Jesus to our workplace, our families, our city, the nations, well, let's be as innocent as doves, but as wise as serpents.
Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have sent the Lord Jesus into this world. That you sent the light of all mankind to rescue, rescue to the uttermost. And indeed, Lord, you have rescued that that was unsavable, us, and you saved us in your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your love. And Father, these, these are words that are, are amazing. There's no, there's no words to, to describe what you have done for us. But Father, we ask that you would please use us. Use us in this room. Use the church in Armidale. Use the church in Western Australia to do something. As we heard this morning, many of us might lose treasures on this earth in the doing. But Father, we ask that the zeal that you work in us by your spirit as we lift our eyes to Christ would drive us more than our love for things of this world. Might we be a people that you use and might we have great joy in the doing. We love you because you first loved us. And we thank you for these words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.